I don't really see a de-escalation of the Ukrainian crisis really helping markets that much. It's just taking away one of those unknowns, but there's still plenty of others out there. So I think we would suggest to continue to be cautious over the next couple of months. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Tensions in the Ukraine are dominating the news, and investors are wondering how they can best navigate this premonitory situation. In today's episode, portfolio managers Alfred Lee and Chris McKinney, along with your host Mark Rays, discuss the possible ramifications for natural gas and the European economy. They also look at fixed income positioning, strength in the material sector, provincial reopening plans, and what matters most to advisors as we enter tax season. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, and welcome to our BMO ETF Weekly Insights Call with our team of experts. I'm today's host, Mark Rays, Head of Product for BMO GAM. I'd like to thank everyone for joining us today. I really appreciate you listening in. For PMs today, we have Alfred Lee and Chris McKinney, both our portfolio managers on our ETF desk. Thanks to both of you for joining us today. Thanks, Mark. Good morning, everyone. Thanks, Mark. Good morning. Good morning. Let's move right into the questions. I think the the biggest macro concern right now, of course, is the news from Ukraine, where we'll say perhaps most recently it's looking a little more positive, but certainly a lot of tensions in the region. This has helped equity markets regain some ground. What are your thoughts on next steps, perhaps with more risk on the table, or do you see it more as an opportunity to manage risk a bit more with a low-vol approach. Thanks. Sure. And as you say, certainly a moving target as to what's happening on the ground in the Ukraine, certainly a fluid situation. So although I guess some of the most recent comments, at least out of Russia, seem to be positive and and de-escalating, we haven't seen proof of that on the ground yet. Uh, Troops not really moving yet. Uh, as well as reports of Ukraine uh, undergoing a, a very severe cyber attack over the last couple of days. So in terms of what people are saying and in, and in terms of what actions are taking place, um, not necessarily meshing up right now. So a lot of uncertainty still on the table here um, as, as we move forward over the next few days and weeks with Russia and Ukraine. In terms of impacts on markets and economies overall, you know, should Russia invade Ukraine? Should this escalate? What are we expected to see here? Of course, I think everyone's biggest concern when it comes to Russia reverts to the natural gas market. Russia obviously being a a very big supplier globally um, and to Europe specifically uh, of natural gas. Um, And, you know, the U.S. has already come out and said if Russia invades Ukraine, that the Nord Stream pipeline will not come online. Uh, Nord Stream 2, that is. And that's a pipeline that connects Russia directly to Germany um, to transport natural gas. The the pipeline is already there, but it hasn't been approved yet by Germany's regulators. So um, kind of all set and ready to go should that get approved. 
Um, and again, you know, should Russia invade Ukraine, um, it's, it's been forecast that that will not be approved. So I guess the concern there is next steps from Russia in terms of retali- potential retaliation. Would they actually withhold delivery of natural gas to, to the EU? There's a very important relationship there on both sides, both in terms of, uh, of course, Europe receiving that nat- national natural gas, but also Russia delivering it and the, the revenues they make off of that is very, very important to Russia. So, you know, it's something they could threaten with, but would also damage themselves to some degree. So hard to know um, exactly what they would do there. But of course, Europeans already dealing with significantly higher natural gas prices than what they've paid in the past. Um, and so any sort of disruption to that would obviously um, make, make things much more tricky uh, and much more difficult. And then the question of does that, um, is there contagion there? Does that start to spread to other parts of the economy? If consumers have to decide between paying for their gas or buying goods or services, demand from the consumer side could start to affect other areas of the economy. And so that's just one uh, really of the implications of a, of a potential invasion here and how that might affect um, the broader economy. So I think the stock market was already dealing with this shift in sentiment around uh, interest rates and the, the path of future interest rate increases. Um, and then you bolt this on top of that, there's really a lot of volatility and a lot of unknown in the market right now. Um, so you know, I think we would certainly suggest to, over the next couple of months, continue to remain cautious in your allocation. Um, again, even if this escalation comes back and kind of subsides, there's still a lot of issues uh, that the market is dealing with. And so I don't really see um, a de-escalation of the Ukrainian crisis um, really helping markets that much. It's just taking away one of those unknowns, but there's still plenty of others out there. So I think we would suggest to continue to be cautious over the next couple of months, particularly with these risky assets. If you take a look at our low vol strategies, particularly ZLU, um, that covers the U.S. market and how that's performed so far in 2022 with the market volatility that we've seen, uh, with ZLU being able to protect a bit more on the downside and reduce some of that overall equity market volatility for investors in their portfolios, uh, we think it's prudent to continue to tilt into that direction, those lower volatility sort of factors and strategies that have a little bit less risk and a little bit less volatility than just what the broad market provides, we think will be prudent over the next um, several months here as this plays out. But again, also some of the other uncertainties that are out there in the market. Um, if you don't want to go all the way down into low vol, you know, our, we've talked a lot about our dividend strategies as well and how they're really positioned to do well in the current market environment. But then again, also being a little bit less risky way to play um, equity market growth dividend strategies tend to be less volatile than the broad market as well, as they focus on companies that are a bit more cash flow generative and are just more consistent in their earnings stream. Um, and again, we've seen that so far in performance in 2022 as well, looking at ZDY, again, just sticking with the US market and how that's performed um, and protected on the downside as well relative to, to the S&P 500 and some of the other broad market measures that are out there. Um, so we do suggest that, um, Although tensions seem to have somewhat subsided here, there's still a lot of unknown going forward over the next several weeks and and, and next few months. Um, And so keeping on that sort of lower risk way to play the markets um, here, we think makes a lot of sense. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. A lot of good things to think about there relative to to market risk and certainly uh, 
a big one out there with the tensions over there in Ukraine. Canada's ETF Economic Forum is live now. The BMO ETF team has begun streaming a limited three-part series where the best minds from all six major Canadian banks share comprehensive research and timely, actionable ideas to position your clients for the future. Register now at bmoetfsforum.com. Let's switch gears to fixed income. We've seen the Canadian... Uh, Bank of Canada 10-year bond continue to climb, you know, now approaching 2%. Is this expected to continue or perhaps do you expect a pause? Perhaps you can put that uh, in your view over 2022. And what does that mean in terms of curve positioning with ETFs? Thanks. I think that's a good question. I think, you know, outside of the tensions in Russia and Ukraine that Chris mentioned, I think, you know, the other thing that's weighing on the market right now is obviously, you know, Fed tightening, um, overall interest rate hikes by the Bank of Canada and the Federal Reserve. So I I think it really depends in terms of what happens with the 10 year, it really depends on what happens during that March uh, Bank of Canada meeting. I think, you know, most people, when they try to gauge what the market is anticipating for future rate hikes, they usually look at the overnight interest rate swap market, so the OIS market. So right now, you know, given Bloomberg only gives visibility right now until the December 2022 meeting, I think you know there's no visibility beyond that. So a lot of people are just focused on what's going to happen this year. So based on the current projections, um, based on what's given in Bloomberg right now, um, there's about seven and a half rate hikes priced into the Canadian market right now. So assuming you know all of those rate hikes are going to be quarter point hikes. Uh, we end the year with an implied overnight rate of about two and a quarter percent, so 2.25 percent. So, because you know the 10 year is trading around you know two percent right now, and there's not much difference between that 2.25 percent. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a little bit of a pause over the next couple of weeks. Uh, today we see the 10 year trading lower, even though we saw the CPI come in at 5.1 percent. Uh, but ultimately, I think you know interest rates probably move higher from here. I think. You know, especially if the Bank of Canada starts their tightening cycle with a 50 basis point hike, which is looking, you know, more probable at this point. Um, I think that's going to signal to the market that, you know, 50 basis point hikes is going to be within their playbook. Uh, that's going to cause uh, bond yields to reprice and, you know, what's priced in into the overnight interest rate swap market to reprice um, as the year progresses. But you know, I, I looked at um, historically, you know, the, the term spread between the 10-year rate and the overnight rate. Uh, unfortunately, Bloomberg only goes back to 1990, but the widest spread on record is about 4.5%. So I don't think we're going to get, um, you know, quite to that level or quite to that, that you know, level of, of widening. Um, but it does tell you that the 10-year does have potential more room to move after this. Um, so in terms of, you know, our view in 2022, you know, personally, I, I view you know, the seven or eight rate hikes that are priced into the market, it, I still think it's pretty aggressive target at this point. Um, you know, I, I, I've said, you know, a couple months ago that, um, you know, the Bank of Canada, given where we are right now, they may not want to risk slowing down economic growth and causing stagflation, given that, you know, some of the inflation is due to monetary policy, but a lot of that inflation is also due to supply chain issues as well. But now, you know, given that provincial restrictions are being lifted and, you know, hopefully federal uh, level mandates are going to be, you know, lifted hopefully soon as well. Um, I think that's a good indication that, you know, not to jinx it, but, 
you know, potentially we are seeing, um, you know, the beginning of the end of COVID or at least the end of the lockdown. So I think that's going to be great for the economy. Um, it signals that the economy is going to reopen, which does give more room for the Bank of Canada to uh, hike rates, especially if supply is able to keep up with demand. Um, but, you know, at the beginning of the year, I would say, you know, 70 rate hikes is probably impossible. But, you know, now as the year progresses, as the economy starts to open, still think it's more improbable than impossible at this point. But um, I do think, you know, the opening of the economy definitely gives more room for the Bank of Canada to hike rates at this point. So in terms of how the curve moves this year, I think there's a lot of the volatility that we've seen in the short end of the curve. So between the six month and the two year, uh, which is where we've seen a lot of the volatility in the last three months. I think over the next couple of months, as the Bank of Canada starts hiking rates, we're going to continue to see more volatility. But as the year progresses, and hopefully as inflation starts to get tamed, um, we potentially see some of those rate hikes get pushed into 2023, potentially into 2024. So eventually what potentially happens is the mid part of the curve becomes more volatile and the short end of the curve becomes a little bit less volatile. So I think in curve positioning, in terms of fixed income positioning, I think investors should focus on three main uh, criteria. Uh, One, you focus on the short end of the curve. So even though we anticipate the short end of the curve to be pretty volatile over the next couple of months, it probably starts to settle as the year progresses. Um, The other thing I would focus on is uh, in terms of fixed income, focus on higher quality credit. So as yields go up, I don't think investors need to quite overreach um, for yield. So as you know, over the last 10 to 15 years, as yields grinded lower and lower, a lot of people were forced into high yield, forced into emerging market debt. So as yields go up, you potentially see the opposite happening. The other criteria I would focus on is assets that perform well when interest rates rise. Um, so an ETF that essentially suits all these points is uh, an ETF that we launched last week, which was which is uh, ZBI, the Canadian uh, bank income ETF. Um, again, I think it is well suited for this current environment. It, it essentially addresses those three criteria that I mentioned. Um, so with this ETF, what we're doing is we're focusing on corporate credit. So bonds issued by Canadian banks, uh, bonds and bond-like instruments. So Canadian banks, as we all know, are you know, higher quality. Um, most Canadian investors tend to be very comfortable with owning Canadian banks as well. Uh, and the majority of Canadian bond, bank bond issuance happens on the short end of the curve. So I would say 98 to 90%, 99% of the bonds issued by Canadian banks are between zero to five years. So again, you know, as interest rates rise, that low duration risk is going to be well positioned. Um, but with this ETF, what we do is, as I mentioned, we focus on Canadian banks, so higher quality credit. We go down lower in the capital structure, so including things like preferred shares, institutional preferred shares, uh, limited recourse capital notes. So the two last instruments are only available to institutional investors. But again, going down lower in the capital structure allows us to get higher yield while staying invested in higher quality issuers. So the yield to maturity on this ETF is about 2.9%. Duration is about 2.6%. But again, I think it's very well positioned for this market. And uh, this ETF could potentially be used for replacement for some of your traditional corporate bond exposure as well. Great. Thanks for that, Alfred. And certainly sounds like we've got a good new addition on the shelf. So encourage everyone to have a look at uh, ZenBI if you are looking for that type of solution.
Let's turn now to some of the equity sectors because we're certainly seeing uh, some price movement there. We're seeing strength in the materials sector uh, with our base metals ETF, ZMT, up almost 10% uh, over the last week plus. What's driving this rally uh, in the sector? Can you provide some insights to that? And as a follow-up, we also see a lot of strength in oil. So if you were to look at ZEO, is this just an overall commodities rally or something to be more tactical with uh, amongst the, the various opportunities? Thanks. Certainly, Mark, and you know, we have seen that largely Canada, you know, benefiting from, from this phenomenon of base metals, oil and gas, demand increasing and prices moving up there. So I think um, you know, good news for Canada in general, and then at a sector level as well, as, as you mentioned. So specifically, let's take a look. We'll start with uh, the first part of your question there in the material sector and the base metals. Um, you know, the most popular base metals, um, of course, copper uh, being probably um, most popular in terms of market cap and in terms of production. Um, but things like nickel, aluminum, and tin as well are, are some of the things we talk about when we talk about base metals. Um, and ZMT um, providing exposure to the companies and the equities that um, mine and and sell uh, these base metals. Um, And so really when you look at each of these, each of these materials, each of these metals, you know, again, I mentioned copper and nickel are are probably the two biggest. Um, If we take a look at price charts, these are really trading at multi-year highs, if not all time highs, um, many of these metals. And it's really a story um, of, the global economic acceleration Um, and you know as we've emerged from the the covid related lockdowns i guess largely emerged from these covid related lockdowns certainly um, not completely out of the woods here but by and large those significant economic shutdowns um, that we've all experienced on and off over the last two years uh, we think are largely in the rearview mirror and so you get this economic activity um, ramping back up and we've seen that on the good side um, we've heard about the semiconductor shortage for for quite some time now, um, and we've also heard about um, shortages of cars, largely used cars, and the demand for cars. And guess guess what goes into cars? Um, a, a lot of base metals, right? And in fact, copper really goes into everything. So when you talk about housing demand, when you talk about vehicle demand, when you talk about largely many goods. Um, you know, base metals either go into those, creating those goods or are part of the raw materials that help to produce those goods um, or are, are part of the supply chain that helps move around those goods. And so generally that increased economic activity um, creates demand for base metals. Um, we're, we're hearing a lot as well about the transition to a cleaner economy, cleaner energy. Electric vehicles is a big part of that. Um, guess what you need to make electric vehicles? electric vehicle batteries you need a lot of nickel right and so there's just a huge amount of current demand but also forecast demand for a lot of these metals and so what you tend to see um, is the price of the metals themselves move the price of the commodities move themselves and once they find um, some some stability uh, the equities tend to follow that and so that's what we've seen with a lot of these metals again copper and, and nickel in particular but others such as aluminum you know, really trading, again, near these all-time highs or, or multi-year highs for the last, call it a few months, six months or so, um, on, on a, a rally at, in the back half of 2021. Um, 
And so now we're seeing the equities catch up with that. So as there's a bit more revenue certainty and price certainty for these companies that are mining these metals um, and able to lock in these prices either through futures markets or, or through um, actual trades, um, the equities start to benefit from these higher prices and what's now forecast to be a consistently higher price as well. So again, it's really all part of that global economic activity story. Um, we've seen strong GDP numbers. There's expectations that growth will slow and of course not reach those strong GDP numbers each and every quarter. Um, but still that growth is still projected to be above trend or above that long-term average. And so even though the pace of growth is slowing, it's still at a relatively high level. And so that will keep up uh, demand for these sort of metals. And as you say, uh, we've seen ZMT benefit from that um, very recently with, with uh, the short-term price move up. Now, we also expect that to, again, with a lot of that demand expected to continue going forward, we see some price stability there um, and therefore some tailwinds for the equities as well. So looking in the commodity space for investors, looking for an element of growth, um, we think it makes sense to either look at ZMT, um, oil and gas we'll talk about as well, or a couple of these other areas, um, again, that are levered to this global growth story. Um, it's a nice allocation within that growth element of your portfolio. The second part of your question, you asked about oil and gas as well. Um, if you take a look at um, ZEO is, is the most equal weight oil and gas um, uh, ETF, again, providing exposure to the equities that um, deal in oil and gas. You can see that one has rallied significantly through 2020, so far in 2022 as well. Um, of course, it's no surprise. Um, it's not news to people that, that gas is at a uh, maybe not all-time high, but very, very near high, high prices. And here in Ontario, we've seen at the pumps um, an all-time high um, reach for uh, gas for the price that people pay for gas for their cars. Um, and so that's an all-time high here, here in Ontario, elsewhere within Canada. And we've actually heard governments either regionally or um, around the world as well, some others, talking about removing gas taxes now potentially in order to take off some of the pressure from consumers, um, again, when they're paying for gas at the pumps, simply because uh, the prices are so high right now. And so ZEO, again, benefited from that. We're seeing WTI trade at almost $100. Um, expectations are that it will go through that. Uh, of course, earlier um, today, uh, earlier in the chat today, we talked about potential disruptions in the natural gas market due to Russia and Ukraine. Um, that, although gas is a regional market, that certainly would disrupt the global gas price as well. Um, you know, the U.S. has talked about uh, bringing in reserves for Europe should Russia, um, you know, use gas as a weapon and maybe cut off supply, um, you know, supply for Europe would have to come from other places and thus uh, put stress on other regional gas markets. And so still a lot of uncertainty out there and still a lot of demand that's keeping the gas price propped up. And so we think that should continue as well, um, again, with the global growth on the back of that global growth story continuing. So um, somewhat related, but different areas of the market. Uh, again, base metals for that construction element, for that building element. Again, batteries for, for cars, things like that. Um, and then oil and gas, a, a part of that as well as just the transportation story, moving those goods and services around, moving those goods around the supply chain um, requires a lot of uh, gas potentially as well, depending how you're doing it. So a couple of different interesting ways um, to get some growth out of that economic um, expansion and uh, a couple of ways that actually also benefit a lot of Canadian uh, equities at the same time.
Great. Thanks for that, Chris. And just a follow-up thing with the uh, sector theme here. Now, of course, we've got a number of provinces over the last week making announcements about, about reopening and vaccine certificates, which sounds like it'll just get that flow of goods uh, moving even more. Of course, at the same time, we're, we're dealing with protests and, and actual stoppages uh, like down in Windsor. What does that mean for ZIN, our industrials ETF, considering the types of companies uh, that are included, you know, producers, transportation, and construction? Thanks. With the industrial sector, you know, I'm glad you bring this one up. I think, you know, the industrial sector is um, typically a sector in ETF that um, probably doesn't get enough attention on our product lineup and as a sector in Canada as well. But uh, definitely a lot of good news on the uh, reopening front. So a lot of good news, as you mentioned, uh, on the provincial level in terms of provinces dropping mandates. Um, you know, yesterday we had uh, Doug Ford uh, come over with a press conference indicating that, you know, it's unlikely or at least, you know, hinting that it's unlikely that, you know, mandates are going to come back uh, once we drop them on, on March 1st. So I think that's a you know, it's good news. It's a step in the right direction. Um, I think it's a, a, in line with you know, a lot of other countries around the world, whether it's Denmark, Spain, UK, Singapore, uh, so on, so on and so forth, um, but also other provinces as well, right? So we heard Saskatchewan, Alberta, also you know dropping mandates altogether. Um, so I think this is going to be good news for the economy in general, um, uh, and also when you look at the industrial sector, it tends to be um, you know very leveraged towards economic growth as well, right? So right now, I think the final piece of the puzzle is you kind of alluded to was, you know, is the federal level where, you know, there's a lot of protest, a lot of um, political unrest between, you know, mostly the liberal government and um, the truckers. Um, but, you know, hopefully within the next couple of weeks, we see the prime minister, you know, take a step towards the same direction towards uh, reopening as the provinces. Um, I think, you know, it's pretty hard to imagine a scenario where the majority of provinces are, dropping the mandates and we don't at the federal level. But, you know, all in all, I think this is going to be good for business. I think as we progress and move towards a more normal environment and, and back to a more normal world, um, I think industrials are going to be very well positioned, as I mentioned. I think um, we're going to see more cross-border activity um, as economic activity starts to pick up. Um, when you look at ZIN, uh, which is our equal weight industrial ETF, it essentially gapped up on Tuesday morning. Um, on the news of that, you know, Ontario removing their restrictions. So, um, you know, typically as a as a technical buy signal, that typically is tends to be a good indicator. Um, ZIN on Tuesday was up two percent versus the seventy basis points of the TSX. So, you know, outperforming the broader market. Um, so clearly reacting well to you know the news of the mandates being dropped. But you know, when you look at the portfolio, um, you know, a lot of good. Uh, companies in there, in addition to the railways, uh, which should perform well as the economy starts to reopen. Uh, Air Canada, it was up 5% yesterday. So especially on the news that, you know, fully vaccinated passengers will no longer uh, require PCR tests. Um, a lot of the construction-related companies, such as Stantec, I think are pretty well positioned as well. They've been more steady. Uh, they've been more resilient throughout the pandemic. So they haven't, you know, had the same pop uh, yesterday compared to the, the other stocks in the portfolio, but I think overall, I think the sector is going to be well positioned. I think, you know, as interest rates move higher from this from this point, um, it potentially causes more headwinds for the broader market. 
but I think this sector is going to be, you know, well positioned for that, you know, reopening 2.0 trade. So, you know, I think investors looking for some growth in their portfolios may want to look towards uh, the industrial sector and, and ZIN, our equal weight industrial ETF, as a way to get exposure to that sector. Right. Thanks for that, Alfred, and good walkthrough on sectors on today's call. Introducing the new BMO Canadian Bank Income Index ETF, ticker ZBI. Investors looking to generate additional yield and mitigate rising rates now have an ETF that provides access to higher yielding securities combined with the strength of Canadian bank credit. To learn more about this innovation in fixed income ETFs, visit bmoetfs.ca and search ticker ZBI. I want to change topics one last time here. I'm thinking about tax season. Now, of course, we're, we're through year end and the trading that may occur around tax positioning, but we are uh, soon to be getting tax slips uh, for all the ETFs. So with tax season, you know, right front and center for a lot of advisors, what does one expect from tax season considering ETFs? And as well, perhaps some of your thoughts on how to position portfolios uh, for taxable accounts to be more efficient with equity and fixed income ETFs. Thanks. Sure. So, um, you know, around tax season, we typically see a lot of advisors asking about, you know, RSPs. Um, you know, for their, you know, what to do with their registered accounts. But we also have a lot of clients asking for what to do with their non-registered accounts, especially for those investors that have, you know, exceeded their allowable limit for registered accounts. So um, for these investors, I think, you know, a good place to start is the uh, bond part of their portfolio. As we all know, you know, bonds are, are you know, less tax efficient than, than equities, given that the distributions they pay are taxed as income rather than dividends. Um, so again, I think you know bonds are a good place to start. Um, you know we have our our discount bond ETF. Um, so that's you know as uh, with the, the another challenge with the with the bond market is that you know bonds are essentially taxed at a coupon rate, and um, you essentially receive your yield to maturity. So given that you know a lot of the bonds in the universe trade at a premium, um, you know essentially a lot of the bonds are not tax efficient. So our discount bond ETF is a good way to get exposure to the aggregate bond market, uh, but essentially that coupon and yield to maturity is going to be much better aligned, so it's going to be more tax efficient. So ZDB is a good way to get exposure to the aggregate bond uh, universe, but also being more tax efficient. So you know, think of this one as a more tax efficient version of ZAG, uh, which is our aggregate bond ETF. Um, but in addition to that, I mean, you know, based on client demand, we also launched two more um, corp, um, discount bond ETFs in the last uh, two weeks. So ZCDB is our corporate discount bond ETF. So again, this is a good way to get, you know, uh, corporate bond exposure, but being more tax efficient as well. Uh, we also launched our short discount bond ETF, ZSDB. So this is again, you know, more tax efficient, but, you know, focusing on the short end of the curve. So bonds uh, maturing between uh, one to five years. Um, for equities, uh, so for investors looking for more tax efficient for equities, um, you know, I would say typically passive ETFs tend to be more tax efficient given that they have lower turnover than their traditional um, active fund uh, counterparts. So uh, because of that lower turnover, they tend to be more tax efficient. 
But for those investors that want more income and, and want more yield, um, I think covered calls are a good solution for those investors because, you know, they're more tax efficient because that uh, yield that they generate from selling options, um, that yield generated from that, you know, the option premiums, they're going to be taxed as capital gains, which is more efficient than even dividends. Um, so we do have a pretty expansive lineup of covered call ETFs, um, you know, anything ranging from sector-based covered calls um, to broad-based uh, covered calls to even, you know, dividend-based uh, covered calls where the underlying portfolio is, is based on a dividend-paying stock. So we do have a pretty expansive suite of covered call ETFs. Uh, so I definitely do encourage you to look at, you know, the entire suite. Uh, but one last one I'd bring up is, um, you know, a good way for investors to get a fixed distribution and also a diversified portfolio is one that we've recently launched in the last two weeks, which is ZBAL.T. Um, so this one essentially borrows a concept from the mutual fund world where, um, you know, those investors that want a fixed distribution rate, uh, this one uh, in particular gets a 4% fixed distribution rate. Um, it's essentially based on ZBAL. So it's just a series based on that ETF, uh, which is a traditional 60-40 balance portfolio uh, diversified across nine ETFs. Um, so this is a great solution for investors in that decumulation phase of their life where you know, they want a steady, predictable um, distribution. Uh, so in, di- in addition to the dividend it pays, it also has um, some return of capital element to it, which is more tax efficient as well. So again, a very good solution for those uh, in the decumulation phase of their life, and they want you know more predictable um, distribution in order to manage their day-to-day activities and, and regular income. Um, but again, this is a good way to get a diversified portfolio, but at the same way, but at the same time, get a fixed distribution rate as well. Great, thanks for that update, Alfred. Certainly, tax time is upon us, and a lot of advisors uh, thinking about how to position in those non-reg accounts. Our covered call suite does uh, tend to come up quite a lot in those conversations. And now with our expanded lineup of discount bonds, adding short discount bonds, as well as corporate discount bonds, you know, other solutions where, granted, you may want to hold your fixed income in a registered account, but if you need to hold it in a non-reg, something to look at there. So with that, that's all the questions we have for today. So I want to thank everyone for listening in. We really appreciate your time as well. Thanks to Chris and Alfred, uh, some very helpful responses, walking us through a lot of things going on in the market, uh, as well as some good sector opportunity discussions, so different ways to be tactical in portfolios that we can all take back to our own days. So with that, I just want to thank everyone one last time and have a great day. Thank you to Mark Rays, Alfred Lee, and Chris McKinney for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about the BMO Low Volatility U.S. Equity ETF, ticker ZLU, which provides diversified exposure to low beta U.S. equities. Our experts also discussed the BMO Equal Weight Industrials Index ETF, ticker ZIN, which provides investors with growth potential through equal weight exposure to Canadian industrial stocks. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. 
The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.